Well, hey, welcome back to our backwards walk through the letter of Romans. The Apostle Paul and his letter that he wrote to these first followers of Jesus in Rome, the middle of the vast empire that was all around, uh, and an empire that was caught up in all kinds of games of power and privilege. The Apostle Paul is helping these little house churches in Rome understand what it means to be the people of Jesus, to follow this King who is now Lord of all. And we've been walking through it backwards because as we started at the end, we see the heartbeat, the pastoral heartbeat of the Apostle Paul, his desire for these people to truly welcome one another as Christ has welcomed them, because there's these Jews, the weak and the strong, the Gentiles, the non-Jews living on their home turf, and man, there are just all kinds of issues that are going on. There's despising, there's judging, there's conflict, there's tension. And last week, as we went all the way back to the beginning of the letter in Romans chapter 1, Jeff Miller did such a great job of helping us see how the Apostle Paul he really takes on a posture of Christoformity as he steps into the chaos, to the tensions, to the despising, to the judging, in the midst of all of the finger pointing that's going on. And the Apostle Paul takes on this posture of Christoformity as he says, like we read in verse 7 of chapter 1, to all God's beloved in Rome, to all of you, to all God's beloved, you're loved by God. Who are called to be saints, but you're loved by God, not to stay where you are, but to become saints, people who love God and love neighbors you're called to. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul models what it looks like to be a people of peace in the midst of the vast empire all around us, to step into the tensions and the chaos, to say grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's step into this new reality of what it means to live as the beloved ones of God who are called to be saints, who are called to love God and love neighbor in the ways that Jesus so beautifully displayed for us. Now, we're going to continue here into the last half of Romans chapter 1 and a little bit into chapter 2. And, you know, Paul, all of a sudden, he takes a turn from this posture of Christoformity where he now comes out gunslinging. And as you read these words, you have to stop and pause and ask yourself, wow, what, what's going on here in the midst of this context? So we're going to read some hard words, and then we're going to ask, what's going on? What, what is Paul doing? Because Paul, he begins with this beautiful posture of Christoformity, grace and peace to you. But then listen to this, how everything takes on a whole new tone in verse 18 of chapter 1. Paul writes, and Phoebe is is reading this to both the, the weak, the Jews, and the strong, the Gentiles living on their own home turf. They're, they're sitting together in these house churches together. And Phoebe, who is sent by Paul to read this, she, she reads these words. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse, for though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being, or birds, or four-footed animals, or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. As if that wasn't enough, then he continues, For this reason God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way also the men, giving up natural intercourse with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious toward parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's decree, and those who practice such things deserve to die. Yet they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Wow. I almost want to start beating my Bible on a big wooden pulpit as I read this because it almost feels like that's what it's there for. And there's no doubt that these words have been used in gunslinging kinds of ways. Now, what's going on here? How does the Apostle Paul begin with this posture of Christoformity, but then turn to this harsh language. And it's not that there's not some truth that can be found in this language, but what's going on? And, and this is where we have to stop and pause and just ask them some hard questions about what's going on contextually, rhetorically, and what the Apostle Paul is doing pastorally in this letter. Now, what Paul is doing, and we don't have the time to open up old Jewish literature known as the Wisdom of Solomon, but Paul, in this passage, is borrowing language that is very reminiscent of the language that's found in a Jewish piece of literature known as the Wisdom of Solomon. The Wisdom of Solomon, Jewish piece of literature, but written in Greek in the century before Jesus, we don't find it in the canon of Scripture, in our Hebrew and Christian Bible that we have now. But Jews of this time would have been very familiar with the wisdom of Solomon. It was a, it was a Jewish religious writing written in Greek because that was the, the language of the day. And in a lot of ways, Paul's borrowing that language because that language of that day provided a, a stereotype of a picture of Gentiles, of non-Jews. And of course, 
Jews are struggling at this time because they're the minority. They're there. In a sense, they don't have their own land. They're being surrounded by Gentiles. And of course, they're wanting to hold on to whatever little bit of status that they can, right? We've even seen that, how that was addressed at the end of the letter of Romans. They're trying to hold on to whatever status they can. And so what Paul is doing here is he's borrowing language from this Jewish piece of literature known as the Wisdom of Solomon because he's feeding the bears, those Jews who want to do whatever they can to point the finger and help themselves hold on to that last piece of status as they judge everyone else around them. And so this, this language is used almost providing this just blatant label over all Gentiles. But the problem is, is even in chapter 2, a little bit later, Paul is going to speak about Gentiles who actually do the law, who do the things that God requires because it's on their hearts, even though they don't know that it's on their hearts, even though they don't know that they're doing it. And so that alone sends a signal that Paul's not using this as just some blatant label that can be thrown over all of humanity. Paul knows that this letter is being written to these two groups of people, the the Jews, the weak, and the strong, the Gentiles. And so he's using a a form of rhetoric here that's feeding the bears. Let's put this in modern day context. Think about it. So our 24-7 news cycle, that's all around us. Think about the ways that that what it does, it it invites us in and we get to choose the, the news cycle of our choice, right? And in so many ways, all it does minute after minute, hour after hour, is paint the worst possible picture of the other as it can. I mean, it wants to show the other as completely foolish, ruthless, evil, out for themselves. And this gross stereotype is presented so that we can sit there and engage with the new cycle of our choice and point the finger and say, yeah, that's right, man. And as a bear, we just get fed, we get fed, and we get to point the finger. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's feeding the bears using stereotypical language that was available to them from a Jewish piece of literature known as the Wisdom of Solomon. So we have to keep that in mind, contextually, rhetorically, what's going on here. Paul is feeding the bears. He's feeding these Jews. He wants them to, amen. He wants to just fill their mouths with these words and get them pointing the fingers because he's going to do something in chapter two that I'll get to in a minute. But I want to I pause and, and just for a moment, I want to I speak about something because I believe it needs to be addressed. And I feel like, like God is calling me to address this. There's some words in the midst of what we just read that have been used in gunslinging kinds of ways to man just tear apart the identity of a group of people whom God deeply loves, whom God is calling to himself, just as God is calling all of us to himself. Paul says, For this reason God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural. And in the same way also the men giving up natural intercourse with women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. As we read these words, Mosaic, I want to caution us. The Apostle Paul is not addressing LGBTQ identity in this passage. Contextually, when you read this and when you sit with the words that Paul is using, Paul is addressing lusts and passions that are unbridled, and uncontrolled. 
and these lusts and passions all of us have in various kinds of ways. And it's possible for all kinds of lusts and passions in us when they're unbridled and unchecked and not brought to God saying, God, how do you desire these to be used? They can get used in all kinds of hurtful ways. And so Paul is not addressing LGBTQ identity here. In fact, I want to say this, that if you are a part of the LGBTQ identity community around us, your life as you are following God, as you are stepping in, asking the question of what does it mean to follow Jesus, to be a Christian in the midst of this identity, thank you. Your life is a gift to us. Your presence is a gift to us. Now, what happens in chapter 2, right after these words that I just read, is the language turns. The Apostle Paul shifts from a third-person language, they, 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 right? He's feeding the bears. He's feeding these Jews, these weak. He's, he's helping them point the finger. He's, he's putting words in their mouth that they're familiar with. Now the language turns to second person. And notice what the Apostle Paul does in this amazing turn of rhetoric. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. Wow. Can you imagine what it would have been like in those house churches as Phoebe's reading this letter, these words from the Apostle Paul, as the weak are, and they're being fed like the bears, in this stereotypical language painting the most gross possible picture of Gentiles. And then all of a sudden Paul has a turn of rhetoric and he takes their pointing fingers and points it right back at them and says, look, if you're going to judge others, you just bring condemnation onto yourself because the reality is this. All of you, Jews, Gentiles, in all kinds of various ways, some more than others, you have so failed miserably at what it means to live the human vocation of loving God and loving neighbor. You've traded Worship of the glory of God and what He asks of us for worshiping yourself and putting yourself first. All of you have. You're all guilty. And what the Apostle Paul so desires to do is to help these people step out of the games of empire, of power and privilege and lording things over others and judging others. Instead, to become a people who truly welcome the other Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you and together discover grace and peace from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this grace and peace as we learn to receive it, as we understand that we are loved right where we are, we are the beloved of God, 
that we're not loved just to stay where we are, but we're loved in such a way to explore and journey together as a community what it means to become the saints of God, to be the people of God who learn to love God and love neighbor, who learn to embody the righteousness of God as we love the widows, the fatherless, the orphans, the poor, the foreigners around us. These are the things that God so desired for his Israelite people that they would become this for the world, that as God has blessed them and rescued them, they would bless and rescue others. And it's impossible to become that kind of people when we're continually painting the worst stereotypical picture of others that we can. Just allowing that to, to continue to be fed to us. And man, we're bears who love to be fed so that we can point the finger and judge others. Those are the games of empire and it needs to stop. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, enough. When you engage in that kind of thought, when you engage in that kind of behavior, you bring condemnation on yourself. And so learn how to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Mosaic. As we keep moving forward in these days, in this unique time, may we be a people who learn to truly welcome the other, just as Christ has welcomed us. That we would help each other understand that we're the beloved of God as we love one another and serve one another and care for one another. And at times, yes, we're going to have to speak the hard thing to each other. But we don't do it from a place of judgment. We don't do it from a place of, man, I'm a bear who's fed and I can't wait to paint the worst stereotypical picture of somebody that I can. Oh, instead we say, let's embody something different. This is the opportunity that's before us, Mosaic. Grace and peace to you. I look forward to the day that we can gather again, whenever that may be, as a whole community. Uh, we'll be giving you some more information soon as we make some announcements, but until that time, you know that you are the beloved one of God. You are loved just as you are and that you are called to be a saint, called to journey into that discovery more and more of what it means to love God, love neighbor. Grace and peace to you.